0: Jonah chapter 3. And we're just going to be looking at a very simple heading this morning. Another chance. Jonah 3 says this. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was an important city, a very important city. A visit required three days. We're just going to concentrate on those three verses this morning. And as we look at them, it'd be important just to think about the contrast between those verses and the verses in chapter 1. Where Jonah gets his first chance. Where the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, verse 1 of chapter 1 says. Because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. We're not going to take too much time to, to look at this. But, but clearly, Nineveh was on God's heart. We'll look at this in a couple of weeks' time. But, but Nineveh was on God's heart in chapter 1. Again, here in chapter 3, there's a point made that it was a very important city. And then again at the end of chapter 4, where Jonah's got the hump because God has acted in grace and mercy. But he's saying, look, here is a city whose people I love. It's not just you, pal. So the city of Nineveh was something important to God. But as we look this morning at these three verses, we're not going to spend too much on that last bit of verse 3. but we're going to look at this business of another chance. I don't know if there are any Manchester City supporters amongst us. Hey, Eric. Only one. There aren't many. Oh, did I say that? No, I didn't say that. No, Manchester City supporter. Good season. You are rejoicing. Hoping for a repeat next season. If I mentioned the name Carlos Tevez to you, Carlos Tevez, a very gifted footballer. A very gifted footballer who is paid a lot of money. And I think it might have gone to his head a little bit. Because here was a very gifted footballer who, with the privilege of playing for a club such as Manchester City, sitting on the substitutes bench during a European Cup competition game, surely an honour and a privilege, decides that he ain't going to play. This evening, because he's been a sub and he's got the hump. And so, when his manager tells him to go and warm up, get ready to go on, he says, No. And all manner of furore breaks loose because we don't actually know what happened, but that seems to be what's been painted as a picture. That the prima donna footballer says, Well, no, I was a substitute and I'm not happy with being a substitute. And so, I'm not playing. And so Roberto Mancini, the Manchester City manager, is faced with a problem. Here's a bloke he's paying an awful lot of money to. Here's a bloke that could help his team win the competitions that they're in because he's a very good footballer. But here's a bloke who is really taking the Michael and really pushing the boundaries of what's acceptable. And so Mancini basically says, you're finished. You're never going to play for this club again. Because that's not acceptable. The saga runs on for several months. They try and sell him. Nobody will buy him for the amount that they're wanting to get for him. And so they still have Carlos Tevez. And little by little... It seems that the only way to go forward is for him to stay put. And he's given another chance. But he's given another chance that kind of leaves a bit of a bad taste in the mouth. Because nothing was quite resolved. But not here. That's not the kind of other chance that is going on in this passage. There isn't a case of bad taste in the mouth. Because actually, Jonah has come to a place in chapter 2 of recognizing that he is messed up, that he needs to come wholeheartedly back to God. And he says, What I have vowed, I will make good and he recognises who's boss. Now maybe behind the scenes all of that went on with Carlos Tevez. Maybe I've got a picture of it that's entirely driven by a media view and if I have then I'm sorry. But it seems like that other chance was kind of a fudge. But here there's another chance that is Just full of grace. And I want us to look at, for just a few minutes, three things this morning. I want to look at this phrase that comes twice in this very short story. The phrase is the word of the Lord. I want us to unpack that a little bit this morning. Then I want us to look at this notion of grace that gives Jonah a second chance. And then finally and very briefly, I want to look at the response that Jonah has to this second chance. We know from the the, the very first... Uh, verse of chapter 1, and also from a passage in 2 Kings chapter 14, that Jonah was recognised as a prophet. There were many Old Testament prophets, and Jonah was recognised as one of them. A prophet was someone who spoke a message from God. And it was a risky business to be an Old Testament prophet. Because actually, if you, if you spoke out and you, you were pretending to have a message from God, but actually the message was coming from yourself and you were found out, death was the result. In Deuteronomy, twice... There's an instruction that that a false prophet be put to death. That's pretty risky, to speak out the word of the Lord. Unless, of course, you're sure that that's the word of the Lord. Now, you see, a prophet wasn't so much concerned about foretelling the future. We often think about prophecy, about talking about the future, although there is a significant element of the prophets talking about stuff that was yet to come. But the important thing here is that that the prophets were speaking a word from God, Something that Peter in the New Testament affirms and makes clear. In 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 20, Peter says this, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Peter is making clear that where a prophet was recognised their words were words spoken by them from God enabled by the Holy Spirit. Now we don't know exactly what Jonah said we've got some snapshot in chapter 4 of what he said sorry chapter 3 and verse 4 where he says about eight words I don't know whether that was the sum of his prophecy whether that was the sum of his message from God 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned that's a short sermon I don't know whether he unpacked that. Whether he gave his testimony of how he'd heard from God. He'd run away He'd ended up in a fish in danger of his life and God had spared him and now he was coming to give this word and the word was mmm. But the word of the Lord came to Jonah and Jonah gave that word to the people. It's remarkable that time and again God uses the most imperfect people to speak through. Just think about it. Moses, God used Moses, spoke through Moses. But he was by no means perfect. David, King David. God used King David. David was by no means perfect. Jonah. God used Jonah. Jonah was by no means perfect. Going into the New Testament, the Apostle Paul. He made it quite clear that he was chief among sinners in his own mind. But God used him. God spoke through him. Peter. Peter. Who affirmed the words of the Old Testament prophets and scripture as being breathed from God? He was a bit of a hothead, wasn't he? One minute, yeah, I'm absolutely up for it. Next minute, uh uh. Kept falling down. But God used imperfect people who were willing to turn their hearts towards God, listen to what God said and speak it? What about today? We see this word, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, but what about for us? How does God speak to us today? He won't surprise you. To hear that the primary way God speaks to us is in his word, in scripture. Timothy, in his uh, letter that he received from Paul, we hear all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be equipped for every good work. All scripture is God-breathed. Some people might say that the Bible, well, it's just one book amongst many in our world today. It gives us a perspective on God. Yes, okay, it's the Christian's holy book, But it just gives us a perspective on God. I like the image. You might think I've gone mad. But I like the image of an elephant and a bunch of ants on the back of an elephant, all talking to each other, trying to describe their relationship to the elephant, And they're all saying, oh, well, I can see a bit like this, or I can see it a bit like this, and I can see it a bit like this. I don't know if that's how ants talk, but there you go. But each person having their own perspective on something that is so much bigger than they are, that they have no idea how to describe, how to interact with. And I love the fact that actually... We could say, what if the elephant could use ant language and say, well, I want to tell you about my trunk. It's way down the other end of me, but it's like this. And I want to tell you about what I like to eat, and it's like this. And I want to tell you about this, and I want to tell you about that. Because actually, if you would take Taking God as the illustration of the elephant and us as the ants, then that's exactly what God has done. He has spoken in a language that we can hear and understand. And He has said, This is how it is, my little ant friends. This is how it is. God has spoken. God has revealed himself through Scripture. And it is the Word of God. Scripture talks about who God is. The Psalms are full of David's expression from God of who he is. It tells us about what he has done from the beginning of creation to now and what he's going to do before the end of time. He tells us in his word how we fit in to his creation, how we fit in to his world and his plan. God speaks to us through Scripture. Not always easy to understand. We sometimes have to wrestle with Scripture. But God speaks through His Scripture, like dear Arnold just mentioned. Wonderful simplicity, Emma of Arnold's perspective, Scripture changes us because God is changing us. That is beautiful. And we can hear generation to generation the truth about God. I wonder, how do you view Scripture? I wonder if you turn with me to Psalm 19 just for a minute. Psalm 19. Keep your finger in Jonah if you wish. But Psalm 19. And uh, somebody with a pew Bible, if you just give us a shout out when you've got the number of the page. 552 in the Pew Bibles. 552, Psalm number 19. Because there's a couple of verses in there that I would love us to just reflect on and how we might view Scripture. Psalm 19 verses 7 and 8. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eye. that just so exciting. See the Word of God isn't just about learning stuff. The Word of God isn't just about information. Do you see how the Psalmist sees that the Word of God is active? The writer to the Hebrews talks about it as a double-edged sword that cuts to the marrow. But here the word of God revives the soul. It makes wise the simple. Hallelujah. I need all the wisdom I can get. It gives joy to the heart. It gives light to the eyes. Folks, if you struggle to read scripture, I want to encourage you. Please keep with it. If you're struggling to know what to read at the moment, then talk to me. Talk to Paul, who I know organises some uh, daily bread notes. Talk to another person and say, what do you read and how do you find it? We're all different. Some of you might actually find it much easier to listen to scripture. If you're connected to the internet, there's all sorts of ways of listening to scripture. If you've got an old tape player, I've got a bunch of tapes that's got scripture on it. You are welcome to borrow them. To have them, because I haven't got a tape player anymore. There are CDs available. There are MP3s available. You can download scripture to your smartphone. Fantastic. So if you find reading it hard, listen to it. But I would just urge you to come to Scripture. Don't try and bite off more than you can chew. Don't say, well Andy's told me I've got to read my Bible now so this afternoon I'm going to start at Genesis and by next week I'm going to be through to Revelation. If you do it, top job. But I suspect you will find yourself getting frustrated. But just read some of the letters in the New Testament. Paul's letter to the Philippians. Read a gospel. Mark's gospel. Matthew's gospel. Fabulous stories of of, of Jesus. And an account of how Jesus came what he came to do, who he is. And just ask the Lord to just speak something into your situation. Simply, Lord, speak to me and keep with it. Because God speaks through Scripture. I had a beautiful story I read last night um, I should have printed it out because I might get it wrong but basically it was a story of a a family who were involved in this Denver shooting they were in the cinema and it was their blog and their blog was, was just, it was so real but as they were lying on the floor In fear of their lives, the the lady that wrote it said, I suddenly realized I was ready to meet my Maker. And she she talked about verses of scripture that came to mind. And she talked about the survival of the experience and, and, and all sorts of stuff, which were very raw, but just a real sense of here is a woman and her family. Who encountered the most terrifying of situations? And the Word of God was active in their lives, not able to make sense of the evil of one man. It wasn't jingoistic about saying, The Lord save me, but it was just simply saying, In our terror, I hung on to God. We do the same? So God speaks through Scripture. That's primary. Please, please engage again with your Bibles if, you, if you're just struggling. Walk with somebody. Just take a little bite size, just one verse in each day. Take something allow God to chew it over. We've got verses that we've, we've printed out, a word for the day, which you can get on the website or I'll print one off for you. Just a bite-sized thing to chew over each day. But God speaks out of scripture. In situations like this, God speaks through preaching. It's not just about me banging on. But I believe wholeheartedly that God moves when his word is preached. And I'd encourage you to come expectant to encounter God and his word. I know that I don't get it all right. Other preachers know that they don't get it all right. But God in his mercy... Uses these moments to speak to us. As we pray, God speaks. As we bring ourselves into God's presence, God speaks. I wonder have you ever thought of yourselves as being prophetic because actually each one of you can speak the word of God you might even not know you're doing it but as you show kingdom of God love to somebody, as you stand alongside somebody that wouldn't have expected that, as you hold out a hand of mercy. Those are prophetic acts. Those are things that that Jesus would have done. And they can point towards the living God. I have to say there's a caution that the converse is true, that if people are expecting certain things of us, we can really mess up by our words and our actions. But God can speak through the way that we behave and can point other people towards him. And of course God speaks supernaturally sometimes. God is desperate to break into situations. And sometimes he does that supernaturally. And maybe sometimes you just have a, a, a prompting from God and you think, what's that all about? and maybe you need to check that out maybe you need to speak to me or, or somebody that you trust as a, as a mature Christian brother or sister and say I just get the feeling that God might be saying this but God speaks are we prepared to listen? The word of the Lord came to Jonah. The word of the Lord comes to us too. And that's brilliant. Second thing I wanted to to look at very quickly. I got a little bit sidetracked there, so excuse me. But second thing I wanted us to, to look at is just this whole business of Jonah's other chance. The fact that God's grace is shown in abundance in giving Jonah a second chance. Not because he deserved it, or because he earned it, but because God in his grace chose to give him a second chance. And that grace is there for us today. I love the definition of grace or the paraphrase of grace as God's sheer undeserved generosity. That's grace, sheer undeserved generosity. And God offers that to us today. Our default position is that actually we find it very difficult to see God's grace. But in his mercy he chooses to reveal it to us. See, God's word teaches us that our default position is a very bleak position as sinful human beings. 2 Corinthians 4.11 teaches us that we are blinded by the God of this age. To not see God at work. Ezekiel 36, 26 teaches that our hearts are hard as stone. That's our default position. John 3, 19 tells us that in our sin we prefer darkness to light. John 5, 44 tells us that we actually prefer the affirmation of other people rather than the affirmation of God. Romans 7.23 encapsulates it in saying that we are captives to sin. See, the Bible speaks and it ain't always very comfortable. Yet while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. We can do nothing to earn relationship with God. We can only come to him and depend on his grace and his mercy that we see remembered in this communion table that God in his mercy so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Jesus died, gave his body, shed his blood, not because we earn it or deserve it, but because he is so full of grace that he offers us a second chance and a third chance and a fourth chance and a fifth chance and a fifty-fifth chance and a 555th chance because if you're anything like me you jolly well need it. I'm up into several figures now of chances I reckon but God in his mercy takes upon himself my sin my ugliness and yours too if only you will bring them to him third thing from this passage having seen the word of the Lord and just reflected on that having seen the grace of the second chance the third thing here is Jonah's response verse 3, two words Jonah obeyed Jonah's response was to obey. Jonah's response in the whale was to be on his knees and recognize who he was before the living God and that he needed to respond in obedience. Now let's not misunderstand this. This was not easy for Jonah. He was going to a people that had a reputation. He was going to a people that were not his people and that was a big deal in those days. In our kind of world of of mingling of culture maybe that's not quite such a big deal. But imagine Angela, a lovely English girl, being sent into the middle of Glasgow. (sighs) Poor thing. That would be like a lamb to the slaughter. That's what Jonah was facing. I can say that, by the way, because my father's from Glasgow and I'm a proud Scot. It's all right. But it wasn't easy for Jonah. But he knew what he had to do. And just by the way, even before the end of this story, he fouls up again. He recognises that John God is compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. And he gets angry with God. He gets angry with God that even though he's gone and preached a message of repentance that actually the people repent and that God forgives them and he's saying, what are you doing that for God? So even when he obeys he still struggles and that gives us hope but where do we need to obey? Following Jesus is costly As Jesus said in Matthew 16. If anyone would come after me. He must deny himself. Take up his cross. And follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me. Will find it. God calls us to be wholehearted followers. And he will use us and our gifts and our abilities and our talents to his glory, not ours. So it might feel scary to say, I need to obey. I need to lay aside that which is dear to me and entrust myself into God's hand. But that's what he calls us to do. Give your priorities over to God and trust him with them. He will not let you go. He will not forsake you. but reflect, please, on on Jonah's response. He obeyed. If there's stuff that you're thinking this morning, I need to do that. I need to stop doing that. I need to make that phone call. I need to take that decision. I need to say sorry to so and so I need God's help to moderate how I speak I need God's help to behave in a way that honours God ask him for help this morning that God's light might shine through you, that your lives might be a prophetic voice into this community and the communities beyond, because Jesus is living in you and through you. Let's just take a moment to be quiet before we come to communion, to reflect on maybe where we need to obey this morning.